0: Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am, as always, your host, Karen Litzy, and I want to thank you all for joining me for today's podcast, taking the time out of your busy week to join me and my guest, Joseph Ranke. So if you're in the physical therapy world, especially if you're a PT student, you may have heard of Joseph Ranke and his business, FitBucks. So a little bit more about Joseph. So He is the CEO and founder of Fitbucks Inc. Fitbucks is introducing innovative finance products and technology to the student lending industry with a specific focus on physical therapists. Thus far, in Fitbucks' beta test, they have helped PTs develop financial strategies on over $11 million in student loans. Ooh, that's a lot of loans. Joe has been in the finance industry for over a decade and is one of the few CFA charter holders in the world who has experience in both wealth management and business valuation. Globally, there are only 120,000 CFA charter holders. He has hosted numerous live chats about student loans with student physical therapists across the country, presented at the California Student Conclave, appeared on podcasts, and has written numerous financial blogs. So, what did we talk about today on the episode? Lots of, lots of good stuff. Number one, why FitBucks is in the business of aiding human capital development. We talked about helpful and actionable strategies to manage student loan debt. I took all of your questions into consideration that we posted on the Facebook group. We answered all of them. Options for new graduates in debt that want to start their own business why student debt should not get in the way of a worry-free retirement. And we did talk a little bit more about investing in retirement options, as well as paying off those student loans. So great episode, super happy and excited that Joe decided to come on uh, the podcast. And again, you can get links to everything uh, in his business over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com in the show notes. Okay. So before we get to today's episode, I want to remind everyone listening that the Women in PT Summit is fast approaching. We are about one month away. It takes place on November 4th, which is a Friday in New York City. And you can find out more about it at womeninptsummit.com. So that's on the 4th. Then the next day, we have another great course with Dr. Bronnie Thompson and Allison Sim. And it's on how to... Uh, communicate with your patients, how to effectively communicate with your patients with persistent pain. So if you're a student and you're listening, you can go to both events for 200 bucks. So we've reduced the price for students. You can go to the Women in PT Summit on Friday, and you can go to the course with Bronnie and Allison on Saturday for only $200. So Again, you can head over, that's all over at womeninptsummit.com. You can just check out the event page, and it has all of the information, and we're constantly updating it, and um, it's really turning into a pretty spectacular event. So um, I also want to thank our sponsors for the uh, Women in PT Summit, and that includes the section on women's health, that includes uh, Evidence in Motion, EIM, the private practice section, Home Run Physical Therapy, Entropy Physical Therapy, Velocity Physical Therapy, Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart is going to be sponsoring. Um, So lots of sponsors, lots of uh, really fun stuff to look forward to there. And we've got some great speakers so yeah, it's, it's really, it's really going to be a lot of fun. Oh, and of course we can't forget one of our biggest sponsors, WebPT. So thanks to Heidi and the crew over at WebPT for being a sponsor for the Women in PT Summit. Uh, and that's it. That's it for now. So listen to this great podcast with Joe Ranke and I will catch y'all next week. Hey Joe, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you on.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here uh, today. Hopefully we can share some some good knowledge.
0: Yes, yes. And so speaking of knowledge, if you can kind of fill in the blanks a little bit from the bio, from your bio that I kind of read in the intro here about what got you to where you are now.
1: Yeah, so you know, th- uh, growing up, there's always two things that really interested me. Uh, sports was number one. Um, I was always an athlete growing up, but I was also very fortunate to grow up in a family of entrepreneurs and investors. Um, so I had that background as well. Um, and then when I went to college, uh, by the time I was done playing sports, I basically destroyed my, my body. So I knew I wasn't going to go pro in anything. Uh, so that left me with my, my other route of finance, basically. And I had a choice at that time. Um, in terms of, do I get my MBA or do I get, uh, this thing called a CFA charter? Um, which as I started researching it, the CFA charter is more geared towards like investing, um, and portfolio management. Um, and it's, you know, extremely hard to get cause it takes you three years to get it. And if you pass one test then you can't take it again for the next year and whatnot. And I said, so if I could, you know, teach myself that material and go that route, that's the way I was going to go. So I passed the first test and I said, Oh, that's the way I'm going. Um, and so that's kind of led me to where I'm at today because I started off in wealth management and transferred into doing more investment analysis and merger and acquisitions. And with that knowledge, I started accumulating and seeing really different things in the market that was going on that weren't being answered by current technologies and said, well, I I think I can develop a technology and a business around this and, Decided to to leave that valuation job and start my own company, so that's where we're at today.
0: And what? Just so that the listeners know, CFA means
1: it's a Chartered Financial Analyst. Thank so, you. Yep.
0: Just so that people know, we're throwing out these acronyms. Um, <laughs> and your company, Fit Fitbucks. Yep. So if people want to find it, and well we'll this will be all in the show notes and everything but uh it's www.fitbuxfitbux.com. So when did you start this company and why?
1: Uh, so this company the the idea for the company actually started way back 10 years ago um back when I was in wealth management and I started seeing some major disconnects with actually what I was studying in terms of the CFA materials um, and how that information is, is displayed and told to consumers. And there was no easy way to really explain it. And at the same time, for the uh, bank that I was working for and some of the insurance companies that we were selling products for, I was actually developing products for them um, different types of insurance, annuity products, different types of what we call structured CDs and whatnot. And all these products, I was like, you know, that, you know, they're good as standalone products. If I could ever find a way to tie them all together one day, that would be great. Um, so then I left that industry and in the valuation field, I started, uh, we were doing a lot of valuation of what we call intangible assets. So, like, when we look at a company, we were doing a lot of valuations on their employees and their corporate workforces. And I said to myself, wait a second, all of us have an intangible asset. Our skills, everything that we develop, you know, PTs, for example, getting your doctorate, getting fellowships, all that type of stuff, that's your personal intangible asset. And I have these expertise of, of valuing that and incorporating that into someone's financial profile and that's kind of that missing piece that connects all those products that I wanted to do that's the missing component and that's the missing component of taking that material that I learned and actually showing it to consumers. And so that's where Fitbook started. So about a year ago we started I had developed an algorithm that quantify all that information into one easy to understand score and we started developing that on a, on a technology basis. And we're specifically starting it in the student loan node because, in my opinion, that's where a lot of people are already getting behind uh, the financially because of their student loan debt. And they don't have anybody to turn to and an easy way to understand of how to pay this stuff off and get on that right path towards developing a financial future. Um, so we're taking that technology that I developed you know, and said, this is how we're going to do this, tie everything together. Um, easy to understand with a score and then we can wrap it in some of these innovative products off of it as well. So that's where we're at today. So we've been in business a little bit over a year. Most of that's been basically development and now we're going out and starting beta testing and rolling it out to uh, the different, you know, different people specifically within the PT market. So
0: Nice. Yep. And so obviously today we're going to be talking a lot about student loans yep. and now is the time most uh, students just started back at school again a couple of weeks ago. Some may be graduating maybe in December, maybe in May. And especially in the PT world, many students are graduating with a mountain of debt. It could mm-hmm. be six figures worth of debt. So when, when we're talking about student loans, what are, what are some things that... That these students need to think about is and, and do they need to think about this before they graduate?
1: Oh is, yeah, absolutely.
0: So so yeah, absolutely. Uh, when does this plan come into play?
1: So the earlier the better. Um actually the first technology that we that we rolled out is for prospective and current students. That simply shows them from zero dollars in debt up to four hundred thousand dollars in debt. Uh, what's the financial reper, uh, repercussions on their financial outlooks? And what do they need to know today? Um, because they can start planning today. And you know we'll go through some of the different options, but you have two primary options when you graduate, and that's going on with what we call the Federal Income Driven Repayment Plans, or you're going to aggressively pay down your debt. And once you understand those two things as a prospective or a current student, you can start implementing which one you do today. So as exa- an example, if you say, well, I'm going to pay down my debt as, ag- as aggressive as possible. That means, okay, well, do I work my first year as in DPT school to take out less loan? Do I start trying to make a $25 payment while I'm in school or a $50 payment? Um, do I set up a reserve account so I have some cash for expenses when I graduate? You can start planning for all that. Whereas on the other spectrum, if you're going to go on IDR, You don't want to pay anything. So you don't want to pay anything down because you're going for what we call loan forgiveness. So if that's the route you're going to do, you don't want to pay it down. And then there's this huge new buzzword in student lending called public service loan forgiveness. And if that's your that route that you want to go, then what you need to do while you're in school, start networking to get a job in the nonprofit sector. Uh, Because if you don't, then you can't follow that strategy. So the earlier you start planning and and strategizing, the better. And it can never start too early. Um, That doesn't mean, okay, well, I graduated. Did I start too late? No. It just means this is where you're at today. Start developing a strategy today and move forward from there.
0: Right. So it sounds like even while you're in PT school or thinking of applying to PT school, you want to at least start the process or at least start thinking about how you would like your career to start after you graduate. You know, Exactly. So, so for instance, um, James Bateman asked what your thoughts were on the 10-year student loan forgiveness programs in an underserved area. Mm-hmm. Because 10 years is a long time. It's a big commitment. Of Lots of things can happen. Yep. So let's say you sign up for this. So first, okay, what are your thoughts on it? And then I'll ask a follow-up question. <laughs> I'm getting ahead uh. of myself.
1: My my thoughts on it is if you use it correctly and you understand the risks that are involved and you prepare yourself, it could be a very, very effective tool, especially if you're going to be graduating with a lot of debt. And what I mean by a lot of debt, that is two hundred thousand dollars, three hundred thousand dollars. Public service loan forgiveness can save you a lot of money. I mean, you could potentially over 10 years uh, pay sixty thousand dollars. Have a retirement account set up and have a hundred or two hundred grand in retirement and have your loan completely forgiven
0: and no tax owed or anything. Very appealing.
1: Yeah, that's huge. Now you got to understand, too, is that one, it's a federal program, they can change the rules on you anytime. (laughs) Uh, The other thing is that specific program was launched in October 2007 underneath President Bush. Mm -hmm. That means the first person to qualify for it won't even qualify until October of next year. So the federal government hasn't even set up the system for people to be able to qualify for it. Nobody even knows what that system looks like yet, or how do you go about submitting the paperwork, or how does that work? Um, Nobody has an answer yet. So wait, there's a wait, lot whoa, of whoa, questions.
0: Whoa, whoa. So back <laughs> up for a second. Yeah. So, so this was signed in in 2007. Yep. Right? That and is correct. So as let's say as a student, could you enroll in the program in 2007?
1: So enrollment doesn't begin until you actually graduate and you're going into repayment because it's actually not a loan. It's a repayment plan. Okay. So you cannot even qualify for it till after you graduate. Okay. And so that's one of the pitfalls is that if you're a a student, say you're a first year uh, DPT student and you're planning on going into PSLF, then by the time you graduate, the law might completely change. And now all of a sudden, you have to change your entire strategy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so, again, it can be very positive if you you plan for it. And if you understand that risk, and if it does change, then you can say, okay, well, I knew that was a possibility. I don't have to panic. I can potentially do this now. Mm -hmm. But you still have to understand the, the benefits and the disadvantages of it. Uh, and again, if you're a recent grad and you're going into a nonprofit, you know, you might as well try to take advantage of it because like I said, you could potentially save a lot of money. It's just, are you going to be there for 10 years? That's right. the major and, question.
0: Yeah. Because lots of things can happen in 10 years. So, so then my follow up question is, is let's say you're five, six years into working through this 10 year program and something happens and you need to move. Mm hmm. What happens then like do they not repay any of the loan?
1: So when you go on to this program with public service loan forgiveness, you have to qualify for what's called an income-driven repayment plan with the federal government. Mm-hmm. And what that plan is is they cap your loan payments at either 10 to 15% of your income.
0: Okay.
1: So if you don't work at a nonprofit and you're just working and you qualify for that program, it's a 20- 20 or 25-year program, and what ends up happening at, let's say, the 20th year, they forgive all your debt. However, most likely, your debt balance is actually growing because you're not even paying the interest charge on your, on your loan, so it's actually, especially in the beginning, oh, years, your balance is actually increasing.
0: I see, and because yes. you're only paying... You're paying a portion. a portion of it, so ten to fifteen percent of your salary is going yes. to this, but that might not even be what your monthly to add up to a year.
1: Yes, exactly. Okay. That like your interest payment might be five hundred dollars, but your monthly payment might be only four hundred, so you're actually uh, deferring a hundred dollars a month. So your balance actually grows, and then at some point, as your income increases, that might level off or whatnot. But whatever balance is due at the end of the twentieth year, you owe taxes on. It's taxable income. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's- so, if you turn around and say, "Well, I'm on that plan, but I work for a nonprofit," that's public service loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And if you do that for that ten year period, then at the end of the tenth year, the balance is forgiven, and there's no tax.
0: Ah, okay. they say thank
1: you for your your you know your service. This is a benefit to you. So, to answer your question, if in that sixth year. You go from a nonprofit, which by the way, you have to work full time for a nonprofit, which is labeled as 32 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Okay? It doesn't have to be consecutive. It can be, you know, you can go and, you know, I've seen, you know, people take maternity leave for mm-hmm. a year and then you know, they go back. You can do that too. Oh, okay. Um, you can even work at two nonprofits, both 20 hours a week. So it, it adds it. up to 40 hours. Mm-hmm. So there's some flexibility there. But if you leave in the sixth year and then you go to a nonprofit, you're just simply going on to an IDR plan. And, and what,
0: is the, what does IDR stand for?
1: That Income Driven Repayment Plan. So you'd be able to forgive it in 20 or 25 years, but you still owe the tax on it. Um, you, The only way you can get any of it forgiven tax-free is if you stay at the nonprofit for all 10 years.
0: Can you switch to another nonprofit?
1: Yes. Yes, you can. So it's any type of nonprofit.
0: Got it. And um, what is considered a nonprofit?
1: Uh, the 501, what is it, 501C3, I believe is the, so, the IRS so the code for it. Is,
0: the question is how many PTs have the opportunity to work at nonprofits? Are hospitals considered nonprofits? Are I mean most outpatient yes. PT clinics are not nonprofit?
1: Exactly. Right?
0: So is this a lot of students and not a lot of opportunity?
1: Exactly. And it's, it's what's the, there's a huge demand, but how many, like you said, how many nonprofits are actually out there? Yeah. Um, and does my ho- hospital actually offer it? And the only way you know, can actually know if the hospital offers it is one will ask your employer, they should be able to tell you, but you always want to verify with your loan servicer because the loan servicer by law has to tell you the correct information because if they don't, and they tell you like, for example, it does qualify. And it doesn't.
0: Well, they're
1: going to be on the hook for it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you always want to go to the loan servicer, regardless, and say, "Does this qualify?" And what okay. they say yes, and that's a really tell them, where really, is this a, in writing? <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a really really important point. So if yep. you are a student and you're thinking of doing this, go to the who, who gives the loan out, server. Yeah, the loan server. I'm like, who gives mm-hmm. out loans? Um, would that be a bank? Would that be the federal government? Like, well, the federal
1: government now gives out almost a hundred percent of loans for DPTs. Okay. The only way you can get a private loan really is if you're refinancing your loan. Got it. And once you refinance the loan, you don't qualify for any of this. It's only uh, federal programs.
0: Okay. All right. So, so so you go to the 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 loan provider and you ask mm-hmm. them, "Is this? I'm thinking of working for this company. Are they a non for profit?" Yep. Okay. Exactly. Very, very important point. I just want to make sure that people understand that, so that you don't get caught.
1: Yeah, you know, exactly. in, in a
0: funny, uh, in, in a bad, in a bad way. Essentially, you think you're exactly. in this program, and you're not. That would suck. Yeah,
1: and the other thing, there's other, there's two other things that you also have to do. One, you have to keep track of your time and submit it to the Department of Education. And we recommend doing it. As often as possible, basically once a year, because technically they tell you, "Oh, you can submit it at the end of the tenth year," but reality says if you're not tracking it now,
0: oh yeah, you're going to do it in the tenth yeah. year
1: and try to go back and get all your records.
0: And so then, uh, how do you how do you track it? Is it by submitting pay stubs that have how many hours you worked, or is exactly, this just the yeah, honor code.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you send that into the Department of okay. Education, and they're supposed to be tracking it through whatever system they have set up. Okay. Um, and then the other thing is, and I actually just saw a report on this. It's actually really, I, I I'll use the word disgusting. I don't know if that's the proper term to use or not. Uh, but that federal income-driven repayment plan, okay, was based and on a the, pres- that,
0: That's the twenty-year, twenty to twenty-five-year. Yes,
1: exactly. Okay. There is now. Uh, $220 billion of student loans on that plan. Okay. Mm-hmm. That means basically the way I look at it, $220 billion of loans that were taken out that, you know, they're saying you, you took out oh, probably a little bit too much money. Um, you know, so we're going to cap this for you if you want to. Um, however, with that dollar amount, the biggest problem is one, I saw a report the other day that almost 50% of the people on it don't even know that they're on an income driven repayment plan. They got a notice from their loan servicer saying you may qualify to lower your your payments, you know, click here and then they just get a thing saying hey congrats they answer a few questions they say congratulations, you know, you actually qualified for a $400 monthly payment and they say, "Oh, okay, great. That's better than paying $1500." Mm-hmm. And they click and they think they're paying down their loan. And they're not. They're actually deferring the loan.
0: And with uh, that I see, in- I see, over this twenty year period, and so then exactly. at the end of the twenty years, the loan is capped off. But let's say you have ninety thousand dollars left, you have to pay taxes on that ninety thousand.
1: That is correct. And so I'm getting what- it. I got it I got it. <laughs> and so what ends up happening on that income driven repayment plan, the people that go onto it, you have to submit your um your information, your salary, and your earnings information every year to the Department of Education. So 25% of the people that go onto it within a year, they drop off of it because they just simply don't submit their documents. Because
0: they didn't so know? Now, yeah.
1: Oh. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden your payment goes from $400 to $1,500 and they don't know why.
0: Oh my. Is, that's It's like the housing market, right? When people took out these these loans with these different arms and things like that and they're paying X amount and all of a sudden, guess what? Now you have to pay $2,200 a month. And you're like, yeah, it, what?
1: Exactly, and that's the analogy that I use a lot because, you know, if you go back to that mortgage crisis, mm-hmm. okay, you look. It was called—I'll use the technical term. It's called the option arm. Yeah. Okay. Basically, you just don't pay enough to even cover the interest, and your loan balance keeps going. Is what that word actually means.
0: So, so your loan pot keeps growing even yes. though you're paying something every month.
1: Yes. Exactly. Okay. That was the type of loan, as well as a variable rate loans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are the two main issues in the mortgage crisis Mm
0: -hmm.
1: what people don't understand is those loans weren't new those loans had been around for decades it's Mm -hmm. just investors used them and Mm -hmm. so if you use financial products in the appropriate way you could use them to tremendously benefit yourself the problem with the mortgage crisis is they took those products that investors use and then tried to turn around and use them to buy primary houses. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. And that's the same thing with the student loan is your loan can be used very effectively. And if you strategize and understand how to, to manage your risk, you can use it very effectively. If you don't, you're basically misusing the product and it can come back and hurt you very badly down the road. Right. So it's, you know, understanding those products. You know, we went through some of the disadvantages of the income driven repayment plan. One of the major benefits is if you do it right and you save five years out of school, you can have 50, 60 grand in cash plus a retirement account. So if you do it right or if you go on PSLF, the public service loan forgiveness, you could put yourself in a very good situation but you just can't misuse the product thinking everything is great and you're not saving money. Instead you're taking vacations that cost $5,000 a year. And now all of a sudden 20 years go down the road and the IRS knocks on your door and says, Hey, you owe 90 grand. And
0: you're and like, like oh, uh. I don't have that money. So, Oops. so it's definitely important if you're on that, that loan forgiveness or uh repay, or the repayment program, the 20 to 25 year program is that yes, you're paying less, but you really, really have to be very, very diligent at saving money. And and I would think like take this money and put it somewhere.
1: Yeah. Where absolutely. you can't even get
0: your hands on it.
1: Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Because and, and we're human beings,
0: yeah. right? Human beings yeah. see we use. We use what we see, you know. So if yeah. you take it and put it into an account where maybe it can grow I mean it doesn't have to grow immensely, right? Yep. But but you can Put it into uh, a, a high-yield savings account Yep, and just keep it there. And then in that 20 to 25 years when you have to take the money out, it's no big surprise that, hey, you owe taxes on X amount of money. Yeah, and what, hey, you can get creative with that? it. What's the tax rate on that?
1: Um, we Um When we do the analysis, we assume 35%, mm-hmm. just ordinary income tax now, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's where it's going to be in – you know, 20 years from now, who knows? Um, it, you know, some will say it'll be higher, some will say it'll be lower. Who knows? Uh, but that's what we're using right now in our analysis. But like you said, you, you can get really, you know, creative and diligent with what you, what you do with that money. You could put it in, like you said, a savings account. I've even seen some financial advisors uh, that when they sit down with someone, like a DPT, and they say, you know, you're married and you have a child, the other thing you need to worry about is something like life insurance. And mm-hmm. so they'll put it into a cash value life insurance policy. So the person's basically covered for life insurance for 20 years. And then at the end of the 20th year, they liquidate the uh, the life insurance and take the cash value to pay the tax. Mm-hmm. But at least you're t- killing two birds with one stone. And again, Hopefully not actually- literally. Yeah. <laughs> 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were
0: going to say at the end of 20 years, then you know, yep. you, you're, you can- End it all, and then your family's got uh... exactly.
1: They're taken care of. Not nah. uh, watch,
0: watch your so, spouse at the end of that twenty years.
1: Yeah, so I mean, is that the best strategy for everybody? No, no. but there's a things that you can do, and as like I said, as long as you're strategizing, and, and I've even heard people say, "Well, Congress is going to change that law where it's taxable income." Okay. Well, let let me give you a little framework on that because that law actually also applies to mortgages. So a lot of people don't realize this. When people got foreclosed on uh, back in 2008, they actually owe taxes on that money as taxable income. They They suspended the law for about two years, but it's not off the books. So if you're developing your entire strategy around, well, maybe Congress will forgive it, don't bank on it. Mm -hmm. Now, if they do... Great! You have ninety or a hundred grand that you just saved up to Bonus. pay your taxes. and you not have to pay yeah, for. Yeah.
0: But <laughs> so I now you yeah, take you that five thousand
1: dollar vacation. <laughs>
0: you can't possibly bet on that.
1: No, that's a yeah. bad bet. Yep, exactly. And that's—I mean—you're better off just going out to Vegas and putting your money on something out there and saying. With, put ninety
0: thousand on black <laughs> and see what happens. On the exactly. And know, double
1: it can... and just tell people, "Hey, I just made a hundred percent on my money. Let's exactly, go!" Exactly. Exactly. So,
0: <laughs> okay, so we've got the the student loan forgiveness program in underserved areas, nonprofits, this twenty to twenty five year income driven repayment plan, which twenty years is a long time, man. Very long. Um, holy cow! Uh, okay, so what are other options for these for the, this mounting student loan debt?
1: Yeah. So one of the other options, and I'll stick on the theme of the public service loan forgiveness. That was all federal. There's actually um, state programs, and, and we at FitBucks don't keep track of them just because there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always something definitely to look into because some of them will say, well, if you work here for two years, we'll forgive up to $20,000. Yeah, uh, I think that's great. It's a great programs. And yeah, if you it's you a find nice, great them,
0: short-term program, and so yeah. every state's a little different. So mm-hmm. who if you're the student, who do you how do you find that out within your state? Who do you have to go to for that information?
1: You just have to be extremely diligent and you can reach out to a lot of nonprofits. They'll tell you um, a lot of the underserved hospitals. Mm-hmm. if you go in there and say, "You know, do you guys offer this?" A lot of times, if you just go and read job offerings, they'll tell you, we offer a public service loan forgiveness program for x, y, Z years of service. Um, you know, so that's there. Some companies are starting to offer, and this is actually something that we're looking into as well at Fitbucks, is offering a, an employee benefit that pays down the student loans. So if you can find an employer that does that, the specific one that we're looking at, um, is actually, it would turn the student loan into a zero interest student loan benefit. Um, which I don't want to go into details on that because we're still waiting to, to hear back from the IRS on that product. But, um, more and more companies are starting to do that. So that type of help is there. Now, what else can you do? Um, there's kind of two extremes. Okay? There's those people that have, you know, a significant amount of debt, you know, 200, 250, 300 grand, 350 grand in debt that you're going to it always mathematically makes sense probably to go on, on one of those income driven plans. And then you have the other side of the spectrum where people have like 50, 60, 70,000. Um You're not, one, not going to qualify for the income-driven repayment plans because you can afford to pay it. So you want to decide how effectively to pay down your loans. So in those cases, you need to then start saying, you know, do I prepay or do I invest? Do I save for a house? Do I save to start my own company? If I'm going to refinance, what type of product do I use? Do I shorten the term of my loan? So on and so forth. But the, the biggest issue, and especially for PTs, is if you're in between those two extremes. And on our calculations, it's probably about 60 to 75% of graduating PTs are between that, oh, I'm paying this down because I can afford to, and I'm gonna be in this IDR program. So with them, if you don't want to go on an income-driven repayment plan, for example, one of the options that we use quite a bit is what we call extended extended prepay. Okay, so you could potentially say, well, if I graduate and have 120 grand in debt. Your monthly payment is going to be about thirteen hundred dollars a month. Say that okay? again. Uh, if you had one hundred twenty thousand uh-huh. dollars in debt at an average interest rate, I believe it's about six point five percent on a ten year standard federal loan, mm-hmm. your payment would be about thirteen hundred dollars a month. Okay? okay, which is pretty significant. Yeah, it's steep. Um, yes. And with that being said, you say, okay, well, I could potentially afford that, but if there's if there's is there something else that I can do. And there is, and the federal government actually allows you to extend your loans. And actually private companies allow you to extend your loans as well. And what I mean by that is based on how much you're making in salary and based on how much you borrowed, they might come back and tell you, you can extend your loan for 12 years, 15 years, 18 years, 20 years, or 25 years. So what a lot of people will do is they'll say, okay, well, if I extend my loan to 20 years, that $1,300 payment goes to 800. That's more affordable. That's what I'm doing. And if that's where most people stop. And that by itself is not a good strategy because you simply just extend the loan and you're going to end up paying a ton of money over a, 20, yeah, over a 20-year time span. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, one of the examples we give a lot is somebody that has $160,000 in student loans, mm-hmm. which is not uncommon for us to see. Um, if they just simply extended it like that, it would cost them an additional $87,000 over that extra 10 year period by extending. So what we do with the strategy is we say look, maybe you can't afford the $1300. But extend it, drop your payment down to $800. And then but maybe you can afford to make an extra $2 or $300 payment every month.
0: Yeah, I was just going to ask that. Can hmm? you make extra payments on months? Exactly. Monthly? Okay. And then let's say 5 years from now your income increases exponentially. You can pay it Discretionary. down.
1: Discretionary. Yes. That's why when you do that, you then take that two or $300 and your highest interest rate loan, funnel all that money into paying that high interest rate okay. loan down as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And maybe you don't pay it off in 10 years. Maybe it takes you 12 years, but at least you're not paying it over 20. And it gives you some more flexibility because instead of having to make a $1,300 payment, you're only required to pay $800.
0: But you can pay more.
1: Exactly. You can pay more anytime you want to. And if... Like for whatever reason, you're paying more, and one month goes by. Say you're a traveling PT, and you don't want to pay an extra $500 one month. You don't have to. You can put it in your pocket and use it to, you know, for your rent then your new place that you're going to, or whatever it is. So you increase your the flexibility of your repayment plan yeah, that's just what by I did. Doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we see that that quite a bit. Uh, for those that want a really, really, really advanced strategy, you can actually take it one step further. Um, and even if you're going to pay it off in 10 years, if you qualify to extend your loans, you can still take advantage of it and actually save even more money. Um, I don't want to go into too much details on that because it starts getting into a lot of numbers and you know a lot of people just like, oh my God, they start hearing these numbers and their eyes kind of just glaze over. Um, but when we walk through it with clients, we have somebody that actually... Um, fits that specific profile. We actually show them in in real numbers and say, this is exactly how you'd actually implement this. You know, If you want us to go deeper, we will do that for you.
0: And that's Uh, for someone who has a 10-year loan but wants to pay it off sooner?
1: Either either they're planning on paying it off in 10 years. So the way the mathematics work on it is if you're planning on paying it off for 10 years, you can still extend your loans. But if you still keep making that payment (laughs) that you were going to make on your 10-year payment and you just allocate the extra payment to that higher interest rate loan, you actually end up paying it off in about three or four months short, shy of 10 years. Got it. Um, but you've just given your financial uh, profile more flexibility because instead of a required payment that's, like I said, $1,300 a month, it's only $800 a month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've given yourself a little bit of flexibility, which is really good because say your loans, for example, are like 5%. Let's just say in five or six years, you can go to a bank and get a CD for six and a half percent. Well, at that point, why pay down your loan? Put your money in the bank and make some extra money off of it. You don't need to pay your loan. You're actually making money on your money now. Um, So it gives you your financial plan some flexibility. And again, that plan is not for everybody because some people have turned around and said to us, I know myself, if I have a lower payment and it's not required, I'm not, not going to make this payment.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, it totally depends <laughs> so. on the person. I mean, you have to be of that mindset, and you need to really have the financial control to say to yourself, "Okay, I, I realize I extended my loan, so instead of thirteen, I can pay eight. But you know something, I can actually pay eleven hundred every month. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's what exactly. I'm going to do until I can't do it anymore. Exactly. Um, yeah, and and it's you know, I remember I had, I mean full disclosure i had nowhere near this amount not even close to this amount of loans yep. so i paid off my student loans in like 5 years maybe yep. if if that if that but i didn't have i had not nearly this much um, but i was making double triple quadruple payments some months because yep. if i had an extra influx of cash i'm like you know i can actually i'm just going to pay and then if there was actually a month that I was like a little lower on cash, I was like, I'm so many months ahead at this point, yep. you know, I'm so far ahead at this point that I don't have to make these double, triple, quadruple payments. So,
1: Yep. I remember when uh, we were first starting Fitbooks and I was trying to determine really what industry to go in. And at the time, my wife was doing her fellowship and one day because I was working actually in Southern California so I was going back and forth between Northern California and mm-hmm. Southern California so if anybody's ever made that drive down Highway five you know it's a five-hour drive and it's very very boring mm-hmm. uh, So there's a lot of time to think and develop a company <laughs> uh, and I was thinking about what industries and my wife had called me and was like you know somebody in her fellowship wanted to ask me a question just about their finances and their student loans and stuff and all of a sudden it clicked like this is actually the perfect industry to to go into because all these problems and when I started talking to uh, some of her mentors and stuff that were in their you know 40s 50s and 60s trying to just get their feel for you know what their initial reaction was what do you mean is there a student loan problem in this industry. And when I turn around, and I told them, well, the average PT is graduating with about 120 to 130 grand in debt. They're like, oh, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. that's a lot more than what it was when we graduated. And then now they come up to me and they're like, yeah, we've been asking, you know, a lot of the students that we teach, you know, if this is a major problem. It's like it's a bigger problem, you know, than what we thought. Like this is huge. You know, it's great that you guys are implementing the technology here because there's such a huge demand for it. Because like I said, you know, about 60 to 75% of those PTs fall into that range of, you know, what am I supposed to do? Do I, do I pay down or do I go on an income-driven repayment plan? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, And a lot of people don't realize it, that that is, it's a huge amount of student loan debt now for someone graduating with their DPT. So... You know, like I said, it's not a not a problem. You just have to put, you know, a strategy around it and plan for it.
0: Yeah. And and let's say I know that there are also some other options. If you're uh, you're you graduate with your DPT and let's say you want to go on to academia. mm -hmm. There are the NIH also has some uh, repayment programs through the National Mm -hmm. Institutes of Health that you have to apply for. Um, So that's also an an option for those people who aren't going right into the PT workforce or maybe they're working part-time as they're getting a PhD. Yep. So I think that's also something to think about.
1: Yeah, academia has a myriad of different options. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but if you actually go into academia and become teaching, a lot of the schools are labeled as nonprofits. So then you actually do qualify for the public service loan forgiveness. So if you're going into the academic world, there is – a lot of options available for you. Cool. Yep.
0: Okay, so now let's say we've got what you're seeing more and more of, new graduates or recent graduates opening up their own business. Mm-hmm. So that's not a non-for-profit, uh, unless you <laughs> create a non-for-profit, I don't know. Um, and it takes money to do that. Yes. It takes time to grow your business and to grow your client base. Mm-hmm. So. What do those PTs do?
1: Yeah, and this is actually a question that I get quite a bit just because of my background. Everywhere from investing and investing in startups to creating my own companies, I have a lot of PTs that ask me you know, how to, how to go about it. And it always goes back to strategy. <laughs> you have to strategize. Um, and when I was younger, I'd probably say 10 or 15 years ago, uh, somebody gave me advice and this individual is one of the smartest investors I've ever met in my life. And he said, too many people out there manage for returns, meaning they look at their stock you know, investments and they say, well, I'm going to try to get a 15% return. Um, or they go into creating their own practice, for example, and say, well, I'm going to invest X amount of money and my private practice is going to be worth $3 million. And that's what they're going for. And that's the one of the biggest mistakes people make. And his his quote was, if you manage your risk, your returns will be there. And so his main takeaway from that is manage, manage, manage risk. And what that means in terms of starting your own company, uh, for example, is say you are a PT and you graduate with, let's just say $150,000 in, in debt. You can start your own practice immediately and qualify for an income-driven repayment plan. Okay, because uh, your income is going to be zero. right? Oh, wow. So you, you're probably not even going to have to make a payment on your student loan. However, like I was saying, your balance continues to go up. You don't have any retirement savings, um, so on and so forth. So if the business doesn't isn't successful, you really put yourself in a financial bind at that point. So what do I mean by manage, manage risk? Well, you can still go on to an income-driven repayment plan. And if your goal is doing something like starting a business, then what you can do is say, okay, well, the government is telling me I only have to pay $400 a year right now. So the first three to five years, I'm going to work. And I'm going to probably be able to save about $70,000. The tax that I am going to be, have to pay is probably going to be about $35,000. So I could take 35000 of the 70 I just saved it in something very conservative, a CD or something of that nature, that I know the money's going to be there in 20 years. At that same time, I can probably max out my 401k and have 40 or 50 thousand dollars there as well. So now well, let's I have say
0: if you work for yourself,
1: well, I'm talking about going to, oh, going to managing your risk first and developing oh, a strategy, got it, got and this it. is just one strategy, yeah. So now, at the, after three to five years. You have the $70,000, you have enough to cover your tax, and you have forty dollars or $50,000 in your 401k. Now you start your own private practice, and you have the cash to be able to start doing something with and invest in your own company. And then at the same time, if push comes to shove, and in worst-case scenario you fail, you still have your money set aside to pay your tax on your IDR plan, and you still have some retirement in your 401k that you've already started. So you've managed your risk in case the business didn't succeed. Whereas if you just came out and said, I'm just gonna start, you know, my own company, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, after three or four years, that company doesn't make it. You have no financial assets, you have nothing saved. You didn't necessarily manage that risk appropriately. And one of the things that I oftentimes you know will tell people is you have to make sure that you use financial products correctly. And I oftentimes go back to the mortgage crisis. And, you know, we had discussed some of that and the misuse of those products. And oftentimes we have to take a step back and say, okay, well, when I got my DPT, the whole point was I'm going to become a physical therapist. And those cash flows from that profession is used to pay off my student loans. So if all of a sudden you say, I'm going to start my own business, you are no longer a PT. You're a business owner, first and foremost. Now, that business might be a PT, but you're a business owner first and a PT second. So now you may be saying you get in a situation where if I'm on IDR, I'm basically leveraging my company using a student loan to finance my business. And that's not what the student loan was actually designed for. Mm -hmm. And so, if you're not planning that correctly, just like with any financial product, it could potentially come back and haunt you. Now, why? Like I went back with that example of saying, well, what if you work for three or five years, you go on IDR, save the money. The other thing that allows you to do is start learning stuff about businesses, reading about businesses, reading about marketing. Maybe during that time period, you start a podcast or a blog or something else on the side so you can start that foundation. Um, And so again, that's just one strategy. I've even seen out there where kids came in and said, you know, their first year in DBT, they're like, I'm going to be self-employed. That's fine. This is the strategy to implement that. And they began saving a reserve account while they were in school. So even though they have their loan, they still have 20 or $30,000 on reserve and they're ready to go when they graduate. And that's what you plan for. Great. You develop a strategy. But that's the key is develop that strategy around everything you do and understand what that financial product their student loan was used for and how you can maximize it.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And so for those, because I I am seeing a lot of PTs graduating DPT school and starting that practice immediately. So if that is your plan, then start saving as a student is your best Mm -hmm. advice.
1: Yeah, start saving and start developing a strategy and that strategy can go everywhere from worst case scenario. If this happens, what am I going to do all the way to best case scenario? This is happening. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to expand into this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And, you know, people joke around. They're like, well, "What'd you do with with Fitbooks?" You should see one of the first notepads that I have. It has about 1,500 scenarios of different things that, if this happens, I can go this. If this happens, I can go there. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying you need to develop a 1,500 you know a, a tree with 1,500 different branches on it of what you can do, but just to have that basic strategy even as early as your first year mm-hmm. of DPT school will really help you. Because like I said earlier, with the student loans, start preparing early. Well, even if you're a student and you know you're going to be an entrepreneur, start networking at all these events sure. with people that have podcasts, that are have their own private practices. When you do your clinicals, go do them in a private practice. Mm-hmm. Get that setting so that way all that human capital that you're developing is geared towards being that business owner because the more you do of that, the higher probability you're going to be successful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't
1: do it, then you're not going to be successful. So
0: Absolutely. And, you know, we, we spoke a little bit about retirement and savings and things like that. So let's shift just for a few minutes here from student loans to retirement. So, I mean, I've heard from people who are my age, older than me, who don't have any savings, who don't have any retirement account. So let's say you're in your 20s. Mm-hmm. We'll go maybe by decade real quick here. So let's say you're in your 20s, you've just graduated, you've, you have your plan for your student loans, if you have them, mm-hmm. you're set, you know what you're doing, okay? Yep. Now, what do you do in your 20s to prepare for retirement?
1: So you always have to look at different uh products that are available to you. Like I said anything with a product uh can be used correctly. So for example, a 401k is a product. It's actually not an investment. A lot of people get the, get it confused. So think of it think of like a bank. Okay? A bank um is a a structure, right? You walk into the bank and in that bank you can get savings accounts and money market accounts and mortgages and all these other things. The 401k or an IRA is the same exact thing. It's just a structure. And within that structure, you then have to decide what products you want. And those products are just investments. They can be mutual funds, what we call ETFs, stocks, bonds. And you can keep it really, really simple. And they have tools to do that for you. Or the more you get accustomed to that finance, you can start digging deeper and deeper and deeper. So, for example, you know, with uh, the hospital that my my wife works at, I can go into individual stocks with their 401ks. And we signed off on it saying, you know, I'm a financial expert and I know what I'm doing. So they gave me the okay to do it. Some companies say, here are, you know, 10 target date retirement funds, choose one. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the simplest thing to do. Now, I still recommend to people, you know, understand what those are and how they work from a high level. So that way when they go down 5 or 10%, you're not panicking and can understand why. Um, but as a 20-year-old, you know, and in your 20s, my main thing is just start developing some, some financial knowledge and keep it simple. Um, and then as you grow older, you can start to understand what, they, you know, what these things are and potentially, you know, get your feet wet in it as well. Uh, you know, a lot of times in the, in the finance industry, and I, I saw this a lot just because being on the other side, a lot of financial uh, representatives will use what we call framing and how we frame questions and statements because they're trying to sell a product. So what I mean by that is they'll come in and you're sitting aclo- across from them and they'll say, if you lose 10%, how's that going to make you feel? Oh, well, that's only 10%. That's nothing. But if you actually put that in dollar terms and say, well, you have a hundred grand, if you lost ten percent, that's ten thousand dollars. How is that gonna make you feel? That answer might be a little bit different.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure.
1: So what I recommend, especially to people in their twenties, is keep it simple. And if you want to go into equities and start being more aggressive with stocks, go into it either knowing you know what the risk is, um, or start going into it and treading lightly. So that way, if it's like, okay, I have $10,000 in, 2008 happens again, I lose 30%, you know percent, so I lost $3,000. I see how that works. And either now I just realize how I am and I hate losing money, so I just don't want to be in stocks anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or I understand that, I learn from it, I actually will invest more because I now understand what this is because... Now, uh, because it was only $3,000, I said I left my money there. And now it's 2016, and that $10,000 turned into $20,000. Mm-hmm. I get it. So now I have that experience, and I can start doing more. So one, you know, for the 20s, start learning. And you can even say for the 30s, too, because a lot of individuals are, are graduating and now getting financial assets into their 30s. Mm-hmm. Is learn first and foremost. Uh, B, understand that the, the most advantageous vehicles, so like the 401ks, uh, what's your company matches? Understand how you can maximize that money because it's all tax, you know, pre-tax type of monies. Understand how you can maximize a Roth IRA if you qualify for that um, and get that tax deferred type of growth. Um, and then go into saying, okay, I'm going to put money there. Um, this is the type of allocation I'm going to do. And then say, okay, do I want to go into stocks? Do I want to go into real estate? Do I want to invest in my own companies? Um, You know, on that type of analysis, then start saying, okay, well, if you're investing in your own companies, um, be really conservative with your other assets because you're already taking risks, so on and so forth. So my main thing is keep it simple. And in your 20s and 30s, you know, try to maximize your 401ks and um, understanding what uh, what the benefits are and how you maximize that 401k uh, with your employer's money and what they offer and so on and so
0: forth. And and a lot of times your employer uh, can provide. Usually they provide you with a financial planner to kind of help you with a lot of these decisions. Mm-hmm. So don't think that you just are out there scouring the internet on your own trying to figure everything out. Because you you do want to meet with a financial planner to have them kind of go over all of this for you.
1: Yep, exactly. And there's a statistic out there. You know, depending on what surveys you read. Um, you know, I've seen it as high as 60% don't have any retirement accounts. You know, we see, I've actually seen one that said 70% of people that have a 401k offer to them don't invest in it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But if you actually dive deeper into those surveys, the reason is because people just don't understand them. Right. Not because they don't want to do it. It's just, they don't understand it. And, and when I look at that, And people tell me I don't do it because I don't understand it. I say you're actually making a good investment decision because most likely if you don't understand it, you're probably going to lose money. Mm. And you're not going to understand why. So with that being said, it's, you know, you don't understand it, but learn it and understand it. And like you said, meet with that financial professional and that financial planner that your company offers. And then it's, you know, just keep it simple and you will understand it. And then, as you get older and older, you start understanding more and more. And you can either keep it simple, or what I've found, a lot of people will say, I "Actually, start. I actually like doing this stuff." So then they start going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and they start actually getting more involved in it because they realize finance is not that difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. It's just, just money.
1: Yeah, it's just money and math. So mm-hmm. when you start understanding that, it gets fun.
0: Yeah,
1: but it starts with keeping it simple.
0: <laughs> and you know, something that I started doing when I was in my twenties. Um, that has certainly helped me now, and I I really feel like more people should do this. Is I started out by saving like twenty five dollars a week, mm. and I mean, and it was an auto- I didn't even see the money. It was sort of an automatic transfer from like checking into, you know, a uh, I think I was doing checking to savings, and then would kind of put that into an IRA or I had my four hundred one k and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I wasn't even seeing the money. And then yep. as I got older and I was making more money, I would kind of test it and be like, I wonder if I can save $50 a week. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I could save 75 I wonder if I can save $100, 200 250 300 Do you know what I mean? And so yep. now that's grown. So now I'm able to save this money, which some of it I put into a high yield saving because that pays my quarterly taxes. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Because yep. I have my exactly. own business. So, you know, and then uh, the other money goes into a Roth IRA. I think I can put in $5,500 a year. So I try and max that out every year. So, yeah. you know, um, and for people, uh, quickly, the difference between a Roth and a regular IRA? Uh,
1: from a high, from a standpoint, it's just has the tax ramification. So a regular traditional IRA is pre-tax money. So it, it lowers your yearly uh, income taxes. However, when you withdraw the money in retirement, it's then taxed at ordinary income. On a Roth IRA, it's, your contribution is after taxes, so you can't deduct it from your taxes. However, that money grows tax-deferred, and when you withdraw the money out of your Roth IRA when you retire, it's everything that gains and everything is tax-free.
0: Right, right.
1: So that's the high-level difference between them.
0: And how does one qualify for a Roth?
1: It's just based on how much income you make. Really, it's it's there's uh, phase out levels. Um, you know, if you make too much money, the government says sorry, you can't save. <laughs> you have to pay your taxes on it first. So, it really just depends on if you're single or if you're married, uh, what's your income, what's your other write offs. Do you have a four hundred one k that's already available to you? Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. You actually. And I don't know if they changed this law, but this was something years ago where if your company offered you a 401k um, and you didn't uh, put money into that, that you actually couldn't open up a traditional uh, traditional IRA, you had to actually put the money in the 401k first. Okay. Um, you know, I, I'm not, you know, the tax law expert on that, so I'm not sure, you know, I knew a couple people that got squeezed on that law mm-hmm. and had to owe a lot of money on taxes. Oh, um, what the exact law was, I don't remember, yeah. but... If you go to an accountant, they'll be able to run it through you yeah. and just say, "Here it is." And I definitely recommend, you know, as, as much as these tax software services are great, um, you know, if you're having questions like that, um, I always recommend doing going to an accountant mm-hmm. just because they're able to break it down for you. And that extra hundred or two hundred dollars that you'll spend, I believe, is well worth it.
0: A hundred percent.
1: Yeah. So. I
0: agree. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so it's you know it's it's important to kind of pay down your loans, and say, I mean, there's so much that you have to kind of <laughs> think about wrapped around all this stuff, but, you know, I'm like a, a retirement crazy person, you know, like, every time I have, like, a little bit of extra money, I'm like, ooh, I'm putting it into my retirement, like, it's it's almost pathological, um, yeah. that being said, you know, it also feels good to have X amount of money at my age, knowing if I don't retire for 20 or 30 years, I'll have Enough mm-hmm. money that I feel like I could retire and, and be happy with that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's always going back to what you feel comfortable with. So like you were giving the example, um, you know, you would save $25 every month or $50 or whatever it was. And now as you've gotten older and you're accustomed to that, you want to put as much as you can in mm-hmm. retirement. You, and that works. Um, you know, that's one way of doing that. And that is a, is a long-term perspective. Okay. However, some people are want to see quote unquote immediate gratification. So you get that too because you say, Hey, I'm twenty saving twenty-five dollars a month. If I do that for uh you know three months, I have seventy-five dollars, and you see that. So that's immediate mm-hmm. gratification. The other way of doing it um is on the expense side. Mm-hmm. So some people will say, I will not spend more than a hundred dollars a week on everything. So food, whatever it is, like you know, that's actually one of the things that I did in college was I'm not going to spend hundred more than $100 a week on food and alcohol. <laughs> um, again, I was in college. So basically, I didn't eat during the week. And then when it got to the weekend, you had you know $40 left over. And I'd never spent more than $100 in all four years of my undergrad um, in a week. So some people do it that way as well as through expenses. So either way, um, you're planning and developing a strategy financially. The other thing that you're doing that's even more important is you're developing discipline.
0: And good habits.
1: Exactly. And that's one of the hardest things to do in finance. Because like I said, we want instant gratification on everything. And it doesn't matter what you're doing in finance. It could be paying off your loan, saving for retirement, buying a house and, and paying that off. There is no instant gratification unless you inherit money. And you just get a lump sum and pay it off. All these things take time to do it. So it takes an extreme amount of discipline and patience to see your strategy actually come to fruition. And so by doing those things like saving the $25, uh, we talked about like if you're in school and you you know you're going to make payments when you graduate, do $25 payments while you're in school. Again, it's that discipline that you're starting to develop that, you know, that skill is huge when it comes to finances and what you do down the road. Yeah.
0: Um. And, and let's say you do come into like a windfall of money. You know, I was watching the <laughs> Tonight Show and Rami Malik was on it. You know, he's the star of Mr. Robot. Yeah. <laughs> and so he did the first season. He was like, you know, I had a little extra money. And obviously the second season came around and it's a huge hit. And so Jimmy Fallon asked him like, so, you know, what'd you do? You got, you got all this money now, you know, You got all this money, <laughs> what do you do? And he was like, oh yeah. He's like, I bought myself a fabulous student loan. <laughs> so that's what he did with his with his money was he paid off his student loan. So let's say you do come into a windfall of money, do you suggest paying off your whole student? Let's say you can, do you suggest paying off that whole student loan and <laughs> say see you later?
1: It it depends. There's what I call quantitative factors and qualitative factors. Uh, the first thing I say is if you have money, give it to me. But uh, <laughs> uh, I to well, outside, no, outside of that. <laughs> On a quantitative factor, um, what you have to say is, how much am I paying on my student loans? What's that interest rate? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay, so I I gave that an example earlier, and I I just touched on it saying, you know, if you're paying 5% and all of a sudden the rates go to 6.5% on a CD, invest the money, don't pay it down. Well, the same thing applies if you inherit money or you come into a windfall because your business is taking off or whatever it may be. Is if your student loans are say at six percent, okay, that is essentially what we call a risk-free type of rate. Meaning, you're paying six percent, okay. So if you pay off your loan, essentially what you're doing is putting that six percent in your pocket because you're not paying it to a lender. So in the market, if you're trying to make that just that pure investment decision of do I pay this off or should I keep it and invest it? You would have to get over a six percent risk-free rate of return, right. which right now you're not going to get in in anywhere, anywhere. in the market. Yeah. Now, if you want to start accepting, you know, some risk in the stock market, so on and so forth, that's a different type of analysis. You just have to understand that risk. Um, but then there's even a, a case where I've seen some people that, you know, they'll have different loans um, at two, three, four uh, percent from their undergrad. And we don't have these anymore. I'll give you an example myself. I had a 1.75% loan um, from, from when I was in college. I didn't, I didn't pay it off. I had no shot I was paying that off. I'm a finance person. I can make more than 1.75% on my money. However, if like you have a 4% loan, we're seeing a lot of that right now with undergrad. 4%, 5.2%. Maybe you can, and that's a decision. That's something that we walk through with, with people when we look at it. Um, but there's a qualitative factor that you also have to think about. Even if you can make four or five percent, do you want debt on top of your head for the next X amount of years? Because whenever you have debt, it's restrictive. So for example, um, starting your own business. You know, people oftentimes say, How how can you start, you know, Fit Bucks living in the, you know, San Francisco Bay Area? You know, one of the most expensive areas in in I, the United I States. I know,
0: it's like almost more expensive <laughs> than New York.
1: Exactly. And it's like, I don't have any debt. That's how. I, I don't I, have any debt. I, exactly, and that it gives you flexibility. You want to start your own private practice. Mm-hmm. If you don't have any debt. It gives you a lot more ability to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something like uh, I'm in finance, so there's a good possibility before I started Fitbox that I move. You know, like I was saying, when I got, first got married, my wife was in a fellowship doing it up here in Northern California. I was in Southern California, and I was looking at jobs in Hong Kong, Switzerland, New York, all over the place. And in her case, it's like, look, if I get something in in Austin, Texas, for example, I'm I'm moving, and you got to move too. So if you have to do something like that, if you have debt, it's extremely hard to do. Uh, you start factoring in things like children; it's extremely hard to do. So there's that qualitative uh, piece that if, like, look, if you have a company you're starting to, to bring in money, even if you work, you know, in an outpatient clinic for a hospital, and you get a five thousand dollar bonus. You know, that qualitative factor of paying off your debt, not having it weighs, I've found, is more of a decision than what is my investment return going to be on my money. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I don't want this debt. I don't yeah. want this over my head. I want this gone. Yeah,
0: that's what, <laughs> so. when I was down to, like, my last couple thousand dollars on the student loan, I was like, I am just writing a check. <laughs> like, I, I could have, you know, done it over a number of months, and I was like, screw it.
1: There, there's actually boom, boom, funny, boom. there's a the uh, check.
0: I'm done. And I actually have hanging in my bedroom a letter that says your student loans are paid off.
1: We were laughing. When we first started FitBucks, uh, there was a video that came out from a rapper that went to LSU and it's called, I finally finished paying Sally Maybach because oh, he signed a, a, a contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first thing he did was pay back his student loans. So we joke around. We play it almost on a daily basis when we come into the office because it's like, you know that feeling of not having that debt anymore—that qualitative factor of it's gone—is it is nice. just awesome. It is.
0: It <laughs> so, really is. It just it when people say, "Oh, is a weight lifted off your shoulders?" It truly it is. is.
1: Your financial stress just goes out the yeah, door. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, it's yep. it's it's awesome, and and being debt free is a great feeling. And I know that a lot of people probably listening to this podcast may have several years, decades before they're debt free, but know that you can have debt, you can pay off your student loans, you can invest, yep. you can do all of this stuff. So you can pay down your loans and invest for your future. And I think yep. that that's something that I think we definitely talked about today and, and just something to keep in mind for, um, for all of you students, recent grads, and even not so recent grads who are still have a lot of debt on their shoulders. Um, yep. So before we uh, wind things down here, people
1: want to get in touch with you how can they do it uh fitbucks.com is the easiest um we're accepting people into our beta test like i said we're concentrating our technology 100% on pts
0: okay
1: um so we will accept other people like if if you're a pt and you're like look my friend has their mba or you know they're an ot or something like that can you guys help them yeah we can we're just not targeting them and our and most of our databases are all geared towards pts like so for example We went out and quantitatively ranked all 240 DPT schools um, based on cost of income and all that good stuff. So if you're a PT, you just go on there and say, request, invite. It's an email. We'll send you instructions on where to go to sign up and do everything. Um, You can also get a hold of us through Twitter or Facebook as well. Um, So that's that's the other two. And is
0: this beta test only for PTs who have loan debt?
1: No, I mean, I can show some other people some some different things that they want our opinion on things. Um, we had to be very careful because uh, because there's concentrating on student loan debt or a Series 7 license that I had. I let lapse mm-hmm. because Got it's it. so like if somebody comes in and says, how should I allocate my money and what stuff? I can't give advice on that. We're not financial advisors. I okay. can point you guys to right some different people. And like I said, I, I can actually give you that information It's just regulatory legally. rise yeah. and legally it's like we're walking on some eggshells there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But I've had some people come in and they'll say you know I you know somebody told me to do this this and this with insurance or this stock allocation or this 401k you know what's your opinion on that and you know I'll give them my opinion um, and just say you know think about this or think about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I have no, no, uh, no hesitation on that but our technology so for example one of the questions we ask, we we go through a lot of information about their background because um, we're trying to develop that human capital side mm-hmm. and and really customize it um, But and even though we're not showing this to people, I, I could turn around and tell somebody exactly how much life insurance they need just based mm-hmm. on the profile that they built out. Now we're not showing that to people yet because we don't have our insurance license. But if somebody came to me and said, you know, I have $250,000 of life insurance through my work. How much more do you think I need? You know, I could tell them a number mm-hmm. um, to get that basis of it. So. Um, yeah, you know, that's how you sign up and I'd be more than happy to answer some questions, but
0: all right. So that again, everybody that's www.fitbucks, dot com, and you're on Twitter and Facebook. Is it at Fitbucks?
1: Uh, it's, it's Fitbucks official is our Fitbucks one. We actually have a, on Twitter, we have a specialized PT channel, which is at FitPT official. Um, so if you actually go on, we actually have another website too that's just geared towards PTs, just blogs on physical therapy and whatnot. It's it's fitpt.fitbucks.com. Okay. Again, that's also available if you just go to fitbucks.com it's, it's all there up in the header, and it's there. We have
0: perfect.
1: You know, educational videos on that site. We have financial blogs on that site. So um, I don't want to throw out too many <laughs> websites that we have. But, yeah. So it uh,
0: has all the info, and it can mm-hmm. take you to wherever you need to go.
1: Yep, exactly. Um, okay.
0: So any sort of parting thoughts?
1: I always say, keep it simple and, and strategize. And one of the biggest reasons why is because if you do those two things and keeping it simple and strategize, the stress that you, a lot of people get financially will be gone. will be a lot less because you'll be prepared. Mm-hmm. And that's when I see a lot of people get into financial stresses they just hit hit with a tsunami at some time, and they just they're not ready for it, and that's when you start seeing people stressed out about money. So just keep it simple and strategize, and you'll alleviate a lot of that stress.
0: Excellent advice. Okay, everybody. So I know this was a long one, but there was so much <laughs> to talk about, and I feel like we haven't even we just sort of scratched the surface. Love <laughs> to have you come back on. Um, yeah, it's time. So everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, when it comes to your financial well-being, like Joe said, keep it simple, make a plan, have a strategy, meet with a financial advisor, hop over to fitbucks.com, figure out how you can make your financial situation the best for you because what your classmate's doing is not what you might want to do. So remember, it's all individualized and you need to make it work for you and your situation in your life. Okay, Joe, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, and everybody, thank you so much for listening. We'll have all of this, uh, over at the website at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com in the show notes for today's show. So hop on over there, get all the information and you can follow me on Twitter at Karen NYC. and have a great day, everyone. Have a great week. I mean, and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.